1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 John.
0: Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise.
2: People go around, you know, misrepresenting Christ and who he really was and is, is a deceiver. And they come in the spirit of antichrist and so in verse eight, he says look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for but that we may receive a full reward so, you know it's like it's like you know run the race with perseverance there's this full reward that is to be received and and known for all eternity but don't lose heart don't trail away Have you or
1: someone you know ever been put off by Christians who make you want to avoid church altogether? All around us in the news, politics, and social media at large, Christians are often represented by people who don't represent who Jesus really is. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that God is beckoning you to join Him in heaven. And you need to stop listening to what the world says about Him. If you accept His free gift of grace and persevere, He will get you through every storm. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 John chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Let's take our Bibles and go all the way to the back of your Bibles to the little tiny books of 2nd and 3rd John, 2nd and 3rd John, uh, some of the smallest books in the Bible. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to give just a quick intro to both of these books. We're going to take them together, we're going to read them together, uh, and I'm going to give first a little intro, then I'm going to read both chapters and go through them verse by verse. Although. It's pretty self-explanatory, these two books, so not a lot of detail that I have to uh, unpack with you, but then when we get through 2nd and 3rd John reading it and kind of dissecting a little bit, don't think we're done, I'm going to come back and we're going to look at two major themes in these two tiny epistles and spend the latter half of our time together talking about these two very important themes, particularly because we're living in a time when we need to be reminded of, of this in our day, so... Second John and third John, here's a quick intro, a little background. The writer is the Apostle John, although his name is not mentioned anywhere in these two letters. So how do we believe that it is the Apostle John? Because it begins, both letters, you'll notice, it begins the elder. So it is written by the elder. And the date of this is somewhere between 85 and 95 AD. So a lot of Bible scholars land right in the middle. They say 90 AD, which would make John about the same age. He's he he's about 90 years of age when he writes these letters. Uh, he is the last of the surviving uh, original apostles. Uh, and, and so if you're the last of the original uh, apostles, the last surviving of the original apostles, and you're 90 years of age, you can just be known as the elder, okay? So that's how Bible scholars uh, point to John as the one who wrote this. He has earned that title, he is old uh, in, in terms of, you know, everything's relative, uh, but he's, he's old in terms of his age, he's old in terms of, you know, the last surviving of the apostles, and so he's earned that title, the elder, and a third john is probably the last letter that he writes it uh, scholars believe that it follows the book of revelation so it's a little out of chronological order here but it is believed that uh, the book of revelation precedes third john so third john is kind of his uh, swan song the last the last that he writes to us and th- the recipients of these two letters are these In 2 John, you'll notice in your Bibles, he writes to the elect lady, or um, some of your Bibles say the chosen lady, and her children. And uh, it it is not clear who he's writing to, but the best guess is that this is a euphemism for a literal lady who has a church that meets in her home. You have to remember again, this is first century, so... Christians are under extreme persecution. And so John is writing here in veiled terminology. This is code word. The the chosen lady or the elect lady, so talking about probably some literal lady who has a house church, a church that meets in her home. You know, when the early church was under great persecution, the, the worship of the Lord was somewhat underground. And so they were meeting in homes. Um, and, and churches were, would, would not come for a few centuries later. And so he's writing here probably to a particular person and, and a small uh, church that meets in her home. And in 3 John, he addresses this letter, if you'll notice in verse 1, to Gaius. Now, Gaius was a common Roman name back in the day. Uh, his name literally means to be glad and uh, he is a faithful leader in the church in a church somewhere in Asia Minor. So that's all we really know about this guy. And so, uh, Third John is somewhat more uh, personal, directed to Gaius in particular, whereas Second John is to be uh, read by other believers in addition to the lady to whom he, he addresses this. So those are the recipients. That's a little bit of, of the background as to who wrote it and when it was written. So let me just go uh, through with you now. Um, so here in Second uh, John, we'll, we'll look at this letter first together. Uh, he writes, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us, Forever. So you you might already notice one common theme here is the word truth. Three times we read it in the first two verses. Uh, You're going to read it a couple more times in this letter and a couple more times in Third John. So um, I'm I'm kind of already letting you know in advance. This is one of the major themes. He's going to emphasize truth here. And and he and he says in verse two, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us. Forever, you know, if it's really true, it doesn't change tomorrow. That's why he says this truth is in us forever, abiding in us. Now, he, he, John loves the word abide. We talked about it uh, back in First John. In First John, he uses the word abide twenty times. That's more times than any other book of the Bible, at least proportionally speaking. And and it just means to remain there. It, it speaks for itself. To abide, to remain, to rest. Jesus used this word several times, also twenty times. In the Gospel of John, uh, that word is used, and uh, almost every time it is spoken by Jesus. And he tells us at different times in the Gospel of John, with same writer. Obviously, John's exposed to the many times that Jesus used the word abide, so John picks it up and writes about it in his own epistles here. But different times, Jesus talked about abiding in him. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, Abide in my word. Abide in my word. Remain there. Rest there in my word in, in John 8:31. In, in John 15, 4, he said, Abide in me. Just rest in that relationship with me. He said in John 15, verse 9, Abide in my love. Remain there in, in my love. Saturate yourself in my love and in me and in my word. So it's a word that Jesus used often. John picks it up and he talks about abiding also. And so here, keep reading verse, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God. Grace, mercy, and peace. We need those things. From God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth, there's the word again, and love. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the father. So again, he's using this, this woman again, probably literally. And if she's not a literal woman, then it's figurative about the church in general. So it's either a literal woman and a, and a small house church that meets in her home, or it's, it's, he's writing using the personification, like a woman speaking to the church. And he says, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear, I rejoice greatly. I found some of your children walking in truth. Not, not everybody walks in it, Some of them, but it it still makes his heart glad. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now, he says there in verse 5, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And I'm going to talk about that more, so you can just underline that. We'll come back to it that that we love one another. He says, this is not a new commandment. He said, this has been around. He said, I just want to emphasize this. I want to remind you of this, that we love one another. Verse six, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So one of the ways that we demonstrate love for God is to obey God. You know, when we walk in his commandments and we do what God says, we show that we love him. This is what John is reminding us of here. And he says in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now we talked about this in 1 John. This is the problem of Gnosticism in the first century. G n o s t i CISM, Gnosticism, and back in 1 John, uh, he said in verse uh, chapter 4 of 1 John, he said, Beloved, chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And he adds, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So he's saying a very similar thing here in 2 John, where he writes about how uh, one of the evidences that someone really believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is that that individual believes that Christ came in the flesh. Because Gnosticism denied the physical body and the physical appearance of Christ. Gnosticism was this this sect of within Christianity that was an error. And the error was that, and and it's part there's, you know, in, in, in every false doctrine or heretical teaching, there's some element of truth. So here's the element of truth. The element of truth is that the flesh, right, our body, different from our spirit, our spirit is housed within a body of flesh. That our body, our body of flesh, It does not get regenerated when we come to Christ. Our spirit does, but our flesh does not. So there's the conflict. We're living a regenerated spirit within an unregenerated body. And our unregenerated body still loves what unregenerated bodies do. And so we still have certain cravings of the flesh and certain desires of the flesh that are sinful. And that's why Paul writes in Romans about, you know... That which I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And he talks about how there's this war within the members of of his body between his soul, his spirit, and his flesh. And so Gnostics believed, well, the flesh is evil. The flesh is the flesh is bad. Well, well, the flesh by itself is not evil. I mean, we're, we're you know God created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb, and part of our being is physical and spiritual. So the body itself is not evil, but the tendencies of the flesh can be sinful. So Gnostics in the first century said, therefore, everything about the flesh, they, they interpreted as being evil. Thus, Jesus must not have really possessed a physical body. So they dismissed the physical attributes of Jesus, and they believed that he was just a phantom, that he wasn't really flesh, that this was just some phantom thing. Uh, of of our Lord. And so John comes along and he corrects this. He said, no, this is, this is heretical teaching. This is heretical thinking. Jesus, God took on flesh. Uh, it, it, it talks about how, you know, in the beginning, John in his gospel says, was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And, and he, and he dwelt among us. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The, the glory of the only begotten uh, of the father, full of grace and truth. And so uh, Jesus came in the flesh and he, and he, and he took on, um, a physical body being born of a virgin entering our world so that he could identify with us in every way fully god Fully man dying on a cross for our sins Well, the gnostics denied the, the physical body of jesus So the, so they, they they had this mystical concept and john comes along and he's correcting this in first john And again here in second john he says no, 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 no no, Jesus came into our world and and he came in the flesh And and he says there, verse 7, this is is a deceiver and an antichrist. So he said, every prophet or teacher goes around saying that Jesus did not fully come in the flesh is antichrist. Now, again, there will be antichrist, capital A, that comes onto the world scene. And John is the only one who uses that term in all of the Bible. The antichrist is otherwise known as the beast or the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition. But only John uses the word antichrist four times in 1 John and then once here in 2 John. And, and so anything or anyone that is opposed to Christ is antichrist. And there's a lot in our culture today that are opposed to Christ. So in that sense, it's the spirit of antichrist. But there is going to be an actual antichrist who is this political world leader who shows up on the world scene closer to the end times. We talked about that when we were, when we were in 1 John. But, but he repeats it here in 2 John, and he says, listen, People go around, you know, misrepresenting Christ and who he really was and is, is a deceiver. And they come in the spirit of Antichrist. And so in verse 8, he says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. You know, it's it's like, you know, run the race with perseverance. There's this full reward that is to be received and and known for all eternity but don't lose heart don't trail away verse 9 whoever transgresses and does not abide there's that word again in the doctrine of Christ does not have god he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the father and the son if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine you know accurately representing who jesus is do not receive him into your house nor greet him For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now, a little clarification here, because I've had some people over the years quote this verse to me as to why they should never engage a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness who comes to your house. Because the Bible does say there, he says, uh, you know, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, house, nor greet him, for he who who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Okay, context is always important to Scripture. The context is, he's writing to this You know, person, or at least figuratively speaking, the church, some church in Asia Minor, and they're, they're a house church. So what he's saying is, if you have people who claim to be believers, who, who come into your house church, and, and you, and you just pretend like they can have their own concept of Jesus, and you can have your concept of Jesus, and you have different doctrines as to who Jesus is, he's saying for the sake of you know, your, your, your church unity, don't, don't think that you can just believe differently about who Jesus is. Because Jesus is who he said he was, and you need to believe him for who he said he was and who he is, and, and, and not entertain this. And this is the danger even in the church today. This, this big, and it's a very popular thing, this big ecumenical thing, where where you know different different faiths and and different beliefs about Jesus you know we're, we're all just under one big happy umbrella. It's just this ecumenical thing. Let's just all you know hug each other and sing kumbaya because after all you know it doesn't really matter who you think Jesus and who I think Jesus is. You know we're all just under one big happy umbrella. That's not true. Now now we can still love each other. We can still you know uh, obviously. Uh, meet with people, fellowship with people, work with people, live with people. But but we can't deceive ourselves that your definition of Jesus and my definition of Jesus, though they might be different, that's okay. It's not okay. I mean, Jesus is who he said he is. Don't pretend to be the church, but then have entertained different doctrines about who Jesus is. He came in flesh. He's the son of God. He died on a cross for our sins, and he's unparalleled. So he's unequaled. He's, he's He is God, and therefore he is being co-equal and co-eternal with God, unparalleled. There's, there's no one else or any, anything else that, that equals him. And so he, he says, you know, preserve the integrity of the doctrine of who Christ is. And then in verse 12, he says, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you, Amen. So, elect sister meaning he's he's writing on behalf of a sister church. So again, this is code word like like lady and and uh, you know the children to meet in your home and the elect sister. This is all code word for Christians talking to each other and encouraging one another. Let's take a, a quick look at third third John and then we'll come back and look at the common themes. Third John again, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. There you have that word again. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So let me just pause there for a moment because this is a verse that has often been, I think, in my opinion, often misquoted, misapplied. Um, as and, and here's how it is often misapplied. This verse is quoted as to why you should be wealthy because as a believer um you should be rich and happy and always healthy and uh i just i i don't know i don't know what road you're on but that that that's not a a really proper perspective of christianity that everybody's just healthy wealthy and wise um that's just not reality you know you know one of the things that is an easy test of the truth of scripture it should be relevant and able to be taught in every part of the world, to every 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 person, every people group, every nation, and and let me tell you, so I I've been to some places, and some of you have too. I've preached at a church with dirt floors in in uh, Honduras. You can't go around saying if you're really a believer, you, you all should be wealthy. That's just that's just not what the text means, and that's not reality. Okay, the word prosper here is is the Greek word euodos euodos is from two greek words the eu part means well and odos is from hodos meaning road road as in path as in you know what we drive on or walk on it literally means a good road what he's saying is may life be a good journey for you it is not talking about material wealth now god may choose to bless you materially with with wealth. That, that's fine. Be a good steward of it. Be a good manager of it. There's nothing intrinsically evil about money itself. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money itself. So be a good manager and be a good steward of it if God has blessed you with it. But that's not. this is not a verse to claim wealth for, for, as a believer. That just, that's just ridiculous. It's out of context. He's basically saying, I hope that life treats you well. I hope that you know, life, it, it's a good journey for you. May the Lord bless you and, and give you a good journey in the course of your lifetime. The fact of the matter is, in proportion to the rest of the world, did you know this? If you own one car and one TV, okay, you are in the upper 5% of the world's wealth. Yeah, one car and one TV puts you in the upper 5% of the world's wealth. So everything's relative here. See, once he, he, he's praying for literally have a good journey and, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Verse 3, for I rejoiced greatly... When brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He's talking about spiritual children that he's been influencing. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And so John commends Gaius here for his hospitality. He said, you know, your reputation precedes you. You've been taking care of people. You've opened up your home. You love them. You send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And he commends them for this.
1: That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary is teaching through two short yet very powerful letters found in the New Testament of the Bible, the books of 2nd and 3rd John. If you missed any part of this teaching or you want to continue following Pastor Gary through the Bible with these messages, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link at our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, come visit us. You'll find service times and more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please, let us know. You can email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Again, that's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today. We hope you'll make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more from God's Word, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They
0: say you're a wandering soul